Are you wanting to become a box tech? Maybe you already are and have a great overview of locking containers, including safes. Perhaps all you do is move them. Maybe you don't have anything to do with them at all. I'm Tim Coleman, and today with the tall Tyler J. Thomas, the lovely Jeff Moss, and our special guest, Jeff Gaylor, this is The Three Tumblers. When I first started studying for my locksmith license, I only learned the terminology about safes for the exam. I never really thought I would be opening them in the field. That all changed one day while I was in training and my boss had a call to open a flame vault with a faulty keypad. He had a Microsoft Paint looking drawing of a bent wire and was told approximately where to drill. Fast forward six months and I had become intrigued with safes and how to open them. But where do you start? And how do you get into the world of servicing and opening safes? You know, I've taken uh, in the nearly two years that I've been a locksmith full time now, I've taken a bunch of classes on safe servicing and opening and, you know, talked with people who do it every day, including our uh, guest today. And still is one of the most difficult things I think to get into because you really sort of have to work with a mentor almost and do it every day or, or at least weekly or a couple times a month. Um, you know, and you can get information out of classes as far as what to do or the theories behind it um, and what tools to buy. But, you know, learning basically getting into it not to be a pun or anything but getting into safes is kind of an adventure um and just for our listeners today our uh since we have two jeffs on the show uh our lovely jeff moss will be heavy and uh our guest will be did you just jeff call me Rowe. did you just call me heavy his name is F.A. uh jeff Rowe is our guest today jeffro kind of uh tell us how you got into safe work oh man i started years ago back in 94 when you guys were probably still in diapers um my boss basically uh got me into it he didn't want to do it it was getting older and didn't want to put money into it so it was one of those as a locksmith, you got to specialize in things. So it was either become an automotive tech and I'm a big guy. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get down car underneath the dashboard. I don't want to do any of that stuff. So I decided, you know what? Safes are cool. They're always inside. They're not out in the rain. They're not in the snow. They're not in the winter, the cold, the hot or the heat. So let's just do it with safes. So that's what I specialized in and uh, been doing it. Um, so much that actually I took over his section of it and basically he worked for me at the end of the, 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 the shop I worked at. So it was pretty much, I was doing all the work and splitting 50 to him and eventually they went under, it was a family ran place and they just sort of burned out in the end. So went out on my own, been doing it ever since. 
So I have to ask, what does HKS stand for? Nothing in particular, believe it or not. So somebody that was much wiser in the business than me uh-huh. told me, when you're going to make a business and incorporate and get insurance, get writers, get all this, make it nonchalant. So one day I could be, um, you know, handguns, knives, and swords, humbuckers, knobs, and switches, since I'm the guitarist, <laughs> or you could do, or you could do hardware, keys, and safes. There you go. I got all three of them scheduled. <laughs> so when I decide to retire, I'm going to go do guitars for a living. And, awesome. you know, I could keep using it, have the same insurance, same everything. Just have to change my invoice from a lock and padlock to uh, maybe a guitar or something. I don't know. That's awesome. That's funny. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Really cool. Um, so, so Jeffro did, uh, did your, your boss at the time back in 94, did he like, you know, already have tools to open safes or did he kind of guide you through uh, into a, a learning period where you sort of developed? I mean, obviously over the years you've developed your own preferences, but how did it start? You know, he had like the most barbaric sets of just high speed drill bits, nothing carbide. Um, he had an old lever rig that looked like he made out of a machine shop when he was in high school and he was, he's still kicking. He's 89 years old. Nice old guy. Talk to him and his family all the time. But, uh, yeah, it was just very basic equipment he had. And I just told him, you, 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 you know, when you sell yourself as a lock tech or a, a locksmith or a safe technician and you're selling that service, you really got to step up that game. You can't just go into these jobs and put a half inch hole in things and think that's okay. And you mess up. Now you got a one inch hole. It looks, it looks like junk. You know, you gotta, you gotta take some pride in your workmanship. So that's when I started buying my own equipment, my own, the most expensive thing probably you'll ever get is databases, just blueprints of everything out there from, you know, antiques all the way up to the newest stuff and machinery, just uh, scopes, you know, equipment all in, all together. That's, that's really cool. Tyler, do you have anything, any questions, anything to add? I don't. You're going to have to edit this out. No, it's <laughs> staying in. So I, I guess that kind of takes me to my second point is, you know, when, when you do have like a, a basic working knowledge of things, kind of where I am right now uh, with figuring all this out is how do you practice? And when you're trying to teach yourself, um, whether you have access to those databases and that reference knowledge or not, like kind of, you know, what, how, how did you practice, you know, like, did you do it as you were on the job or did you kind of, uh, you know, collect stuff from safes that were getting thrown away? No. So I'm probably like a locksmith that do automotive. The minute you call me, I don't want to discuss a black, a gray, a white, a yellow, a green, a blue safe. I want to know pictures. I want you to send me five pictures. I'll text everybody or email it to you. And I have very specific what I'm looking for. If you can't send them to me, get walk. And then I'm not interested. Go to somebody else. So I want to know what I'm going in before I get there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's uh, 
kind of the philosophy I've adopted is send me pictures before I can tell you whether it's something I can help you with or not. Even if it's not a, uh, a, a locked out safe, for instance, but they're wanting to know if we can install, say, go from a dial to electronic keypad. You know, I want to see pictures of that. And, you know, that's something I actually do quite often out of our shop is convert from from dial combination to electronic uh, locks. You know, Jeff, Hefe, Tyler, do you have anything? Pictures are extremely important. That's- yeah, I, I, I've said it many, many times before. I don't know how locksmithing existed prior to smartphones and emailing pictures because uh like mr jeff says that um i i yeah you can't go off descriptions i need i need hard facts and if you send it to me yeah it 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 tells me everything i need to know but if not couldn't even fathom trying to guess do you know how many old black safes on rollers there are in the world everybody (laughs) and their grandparents had one from back in the day so Mm -hmm. when you call and tell me it's a black safe on a rollers that doesn't tell me nothing. It just it, tells it, me that it's kind of big, yeah. you know, big, small. <laughs> yeah, right. It's just like the the yeah the regular door. Uh huh. Yeah, just a regular old door lock, and it's heavy. <laughs> yep. It's heavy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is a really heavy safe. Can you do it? I don't know. Send me pictures. <laughs> it's about yay big. I mean, it's no different than any of the than any of the other stuff. Like, oh, it's a regular door. It's got holes. It's it's so I <laughs> I don't feel so bad, but it definitely drives me nuts. Yeah, right. I, I mean, as as far as kind of kind of rounding it back to what I was saying, um, as far as practicing and and learning on your own, um, I think is really, really valuable when you're working for a shop that does safe servicing and you're, you're interested in getting into specializing in safes uh, because a lot of times customers will have you haul off their old safe if you're replacing it. And as a testament in the back of our shop right now, there's an old cash vault, you know, B rate cash, depository safe that the lock was malfunctioning that's why we replaced it and when i actually went out to the job pulled that cash vault out i shut the door to it and of course the one time that it worked was the one time before i shut the door and so it just won't work anymore and that's sort of my drilling project and i i'm ashamed but also proud at the same time to say that the door of that looks like swiss cheese i'm not bringing it home (laughs) because you know it's it's at the shop i'm not gonna throw it in the trunk of my car because it weighs like you know 157 pounds uh but you know is there the shop for me to practice on whenever i do have the chance and i think having stuff like that you know to practice on to learn how to you know, defeat the locking mechanisms of a safe is really important. I mean, Jeffro, would yeah. would you agree? It, did you ever do anything I, I like would. that? No, I have not. But I know in the trade a couple of times that people have like taken locks off 
and just left the door open to go run out to the truck. And then the manager said, you can't leave that door open and pushes it shut. And there goes the relocker. And now your half hour jobs turn into a three hour job. So <laughs> somebody it's- did. Someone did that in the shop. The the girl who used to work there had, was working on a safe, had the door open, and one of the guys on the road was like, "Oh, that looks interesting," and started messing with it, closed the door and locked it. She, the, I learned a few new words that day. <laughs> that that and I always love like you get the the people of the family that grandpa left this safe and we had a piece of tape on there and it said specifically, do not turn the dial. And one of these grandkids came over and just got into it and turned it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good for me. Bad for you. Yeah. You know, actually part of what spurred this on, uh, not just the uh, flame vault with the malfunctioning keypad, but Probably about three, four, five months later after that, uh, we had one of our commercial customers who uh, we've done a lot of work for. Uh, it's like a chain of restaurants, a, a small local chain of restaurants. And he was getting fed up with having to dial in the combination on the the deposit safe at one of his restaurant locations. So we went out to convert that to an electronic uh, keypad lock. And I had done it a couple times before. And so I'm down there in the floor. My boss is standing there watching me because I was still riding with him. And uh, he gets a phone call and walks outside to take it. I had taken the old lock off, turn around, grab the impact. And when I grabbed the impact, it swung the door shut and fired the relocker with no lock in the door other than the relocker defeating that we got lucky it only added about 20 minutes to our on-site time but it was still one of those those holy shit moments you know i just really screwed the pooch on this job and uh really really that i guess is kind of the kick in the ass that i got to pursue safes and safe work tyler Mm -hmm. Anything? I'm still nothing. I don't know. Fuck all about safes, man. <laughs> you, yeah, but you have a lot of that. You have you have a lot of those file cabinets and those and stuff. I, I yeah, I was thinking about that you, before we got and on. You this. have you have a big old safe at work for your key blanks. Uh, we, we, yeah, we got a bunch of we got a TL30 for the safes or for the uh, keys. But yeah, I was thinking about that this morning. How many damn fire king four drawer fire kings we've got? But I really have nothing until we get to my segment because that's all I know about safes. TL30, nice choice. Well, I get to, I, I might get to use both of my lines today. I'm, I've been waiting till my segment. Yeah, I know. Alrighty. Up next, our guest, Jeff Rowe, will tell us all about the history of safe mechanisms and their advancement over the years and just some practical applications of them when we return. In recent years, electric locking systems have become more prevalent in the safe community. These systems use digital keypads, biometric sensors, and other electric means to secure the safe. Electronic locking systems are highly secure because they are difficult to pick and manipulate. They also provide a high level of convenience because they are easily programmed to allow multiple users to access the safe. However, electric systems are not infallible 
and can be vulnerable to hacking or other types of cyber attacks. I'm just curious if you guys, um, A, own safes, B, do you think uh, the other mechanical or digital is something that you would prefer in the long run? I mean, I would just say that the mechanical is tried and true. There's less that can go wrong. It'll work when you need it to. You don't have to worry about changing batteries or a circuit board going bad or eroding. You know, if it's inside a house, as long as it doesn't get somebody breaking or whatever, the, you know, a safe could be in the same place for 40 years and be completely fine. Something with a mechanical dial that's just, you know, for keeping your board and documentation or uh, family heirlooms. Uh, the safe that I have is actually a pretty cool guard all safe that I, I got from a customer. Um, and is if anybody watched my YouTube channel at all last year, they'll know that I uh, several times tried to swap it out and install a couple different locks. Uh, one of them we were actually talking about uh, before we started the show, and that was the Securam Extreme Logic, it, which is a uh, combination of dial mechanical safe lock and also electronic keypad lock. I, I really like the concept of it because if the electronics fry, then you still have the dial you know, the mechanical backup uh, without involving a physical key, because as someone who sells safes, one of my lines to customers is real safes don't have key backups. You know, I was having difficulty with that. So right now it's just got a, uh, a Securam digital uh, lock on there. But um, and, and that's kind of what I sell to customers who are wanting to convert from dial to electronic gotcha I, I'm, I'm serious i have nothing to add <laughs> i don't know shit about safes well what do you use on your safes every day and would you rather have digital or mechanical i i well i hmm. do you I, track who comes and goes with your tl30 or you don't care like there's only two people that come and go well that's with inside the uh the premises where there is an access control to get in and out so if they got in there, I mean, I want all of our employees to have the combination. Um, I would, if it could be installed, I'd like something like a Securam where you've got that digital, you know, you've got a audit log and all of that. But like I said, the access control kind of handles all the points to get there. So I, 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 I do like mechanical. I, I, I'm a stickler for it. I just think that, um, you know, dialing it and all of that, it just, it, it seems right. I'm not there with electromechanical, but I'm, I'm an odd bird. So here's my theory on it. If it's for me, because I can service it myself, I like the digital. Um, it works well, but if I was a consumer and didn't know how to do anything with the safe, I would never want an electronic because you will be paying me eventually to come out just like a VCR, there's not many of these old electronics on the road anymore. So 10 years, you better switch it out. You better get something different. Well, I mean, I do remember when Tyler, you and Jake were struggling for like a half hour to get into one of those safes to look for something, you know, with with the combinations or whatever. And we, we yeah, we did have to replace them all with S&Gs. Yeah. And that was recently. 
I'm guessing. Well, that was like a year ago that we were. Yeah, there. that yeah, we replaced them right around that time you were you were there. I just said to hell with it. Let's replace them all. But were I, they, are they? But are they still dials? I mean, they're still. They are yes. Yeah. And he, I mean, this is all. He's got a lot of freaking cabinets. <laughs> it's all. Mm. And I'll I'll say uh, kind of what Tyler was saying and and what you said, Jeffro, was uh, you know as far as tracking and auditing who comes in and out the lock that really comes to mind for me is electronic yeah obviously to track who comes in and out but uh it's the uh techno Securiza, uh tech master lock uh which has network capability and pretty much you can do everything except remotely open the lock on a safe from the cloud and I think that's that's really, really cool. So even if you had to generate a one-time code or you had a new manager or something, you could do that remotely. And it's, it's a really, really cool lock. And I've had the opportunity to work on them and also have people from TechnoSecuriza uh, actually walk me through and educate me on things over the phone on a job site and uh, also from uh, Lockmaster's um, I've taken a class uh, from somebody from Lockmasters about that lock. It's really cool. I like it. Securam does have that offer too. Yeah, and AMSEC does too with the uh, ESL audit and uh, the Safe Wizard type locks. Um, mm, yeah. I know they've got it as well. Securam's nice. The the reason I like Securam is they uh, any model you get is just based on the same lock body of any type. They all use the same lock bodies, so cuts down on having to stock 50 different types. Then it also, you just do keypads. You do basic, advanced, you know, Wi-Fi if you want to do that. But that's sort of nice for people that are just, don't want to have to stock 50 different things. And that's what we have. But we, uh, like for residential stuff, we stock the backlit keypads. Uh, not a fan of the toplit keypads. Securing. No. Uh they have a tendency to just step and take a shit on you whenever they feel like it. <laughs> yep. So that brings me to my next thing. Uh, if you're buying a safe, do you guys feel it's in trying to invest in a quality safe or do you just buy a safe just to get the best deal for what the money you have in your pocket? Well, I, I do have something to add here. I, yeah, I, I absolutely would. I would I would buy Fire King. We've got about 20 Fire King four drawer safes, if you want to call them that. Fire resistant cabinets, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we've got a TL30. I, I would like to have more. But that, that certification, that rating, yeah, that, that goes a long way with me. I don't want to get something at Lowe's or Home Depot, Costco, whatever. I want something that carries that TL15, 30, 60 rating, whatever it may be. Because I know to me... And my insurance company that that means a hell of a lot, and I, I am I can rest easy with that. Yeah. Do you guys have dispensaries like pot dispensaries in your area? Yeah, we've serviced any of a you few guys. Of them. Yeah, we've so, serviced a few of them. Do you guys always run into them? They have safes. They just buy gun safes from Menards or Home Depot or Lowe's or something. It kills me that that's like their security is just a crappy old gun safe they buy. I don't I don't know how it is elsewhere, but I know in in Colorado where they were kind of the the first ones to get it, mm -hmm. um, the, the the government I don't know if it was federal or state was like, hey, 
not happy with you keeping this amount of money on premises. Let us take it back to one of our facilities to hold the money for you. Where I'm sure the containers were a lot more certified, reputable quality than what they had on premises. Yeah, because technically I think pot is still statewide you could do it, but federal you still it's illegal. So it's a very weird situation. They rate them still around here occasionally, and it makes no sense to me. I I can say state level you can legalize it, but nationally it is still illegal. Um, right. It's interesting because in the last year or so, we've had probably, I don't know, probably about six or seven potential customers come into the shop and specifically, or contact the shop and specifically request TL rated safes, like for residential use. You know, we don't, we don't keep TL rated safes on our showroom. We can order them because, you know, we, we are a dealer through our distributor uh, and we keep a bunch of other nice safes on, on the floor. Like we've got a couple uh, American security BFX safes on the floor, which are, are nice, but yeah, it, it does amaze me speaking about the quality uh, of safes. Um, the first like real safe, I say in quotations, real safe that I had to drill. Uh, Jeff was uh, Jeffro was actually the uh, first time you and I spoke on the phone together uh, about a year ago, and it was some sort of uh, here in in this area we have Academy Sports and and Costco, and uh, I think the customer either got it from Academy Sports or Costco, and it was so cheap. Like I was expecting to have to drill through really hardened steel and and stuff like that, and uh, it was just sheet metal around sheetrock uh, to get to the point that I needed to get to, and it was so so fucking cheap. And I'm like, why did you spend a thousand dollars on this and then spend even more to get it delivered to your house? Yeah, it seems like in the trade. Uh, not only safes, but also safe locks. Every one of the major manufacturers is trying to race to the bottom to outdo each other. Who could provide the cheapest lock and still make a profit? And it's just becoming good for the technician, I guess, at the end of the day, but bad for the customers. A lot more failure rates than ever in the past. Well, that's why we should all just uh, buy centuries, right? Sure. I mean, I would just say buy the best you can afford. That's how I feel about tools and stuff like that. Don't just buy something, you know, because it's the cheapest and it's on sale because it's probably not going to last very long. My uh, my guard all safe that I have, I got it from, you know, like I said, from a customer. The uh, keypad had actually failed on it, and it was an older ESL, AMSAC ESL keypad lock. Uh, did not ship from the factory with a digital keypad, obviously, because ESL is AMSEC and not a Gardol product. But it had failed, and after a couple attempts, I managed to MacGyver it to get it to open. And the customers that were selling the house did not want to take the safe with them, and the the buyer, they already had a buyer for the house, did not want that safe. And so they asked me, you know, hey, 
you know, we, we paid you to open it. Uh, how much would you charge to just take it out of here? And I said, not a dime, not a damn penny. I will come and pick this thing up uh, after 5 p.m. today when I get off. And so, you know, I paid my coworker, I think I gave her like 50 bucks to help me, you know, move it out of there because we had to take it out of the uh, basement level of the house and up an embankment and then into the bed of the pickup truck and all that good stuff. So, you know, I mean, sometimes you can get a, a deal, but if you're looking to purchase, then don't settle for a brand new deal, quote unquote. I had a guy bring in on a flatbed truck from a bank that closed a TL60, no combinations, wanted it open, said, how much? I told him two grand, open it. He's like, I can't afford that. Well, that's fine. Get out of my parking lot then. And he left it there for me. I opened it up, flipped it next month for five grand. <laughs> so, that's beautiful. That was beautiful, yeah. I should have kept it now that I think about it, though. It was a $10,000 save. <laughs> oh, well. When you're young, cash is king, right? Next up, we got Tyler going on, giving us some tips how to keep your digits with moving these heavy things. Dead weight has no consciousness. It simply follows the law of gravity and does not give a shit what is in its path towards the ground. That being said, moving safes can be pretty dangerous and folks who do so should be very careful of their actions. Now, I've been very quiet since the start of this episode because I don't know shit about safes other than how to move them. I, I moved them for about three or four years. I've moved hundreds probably close to a thousand safes under the, the tutelage of two great men. Um, so, I mean, that's really all I know how to do. Uh, funny enough, the only Aloha PRP elective I've ever taken without studying was uh, safe moving. And I passed it with like 99% the first time. So I'm pretty good at it. The main thing, I guess, is safety precautions. Um, you want to leave the, the job with, the same number of digits, the same number of appendages that you had. A lot of that goes into proper planning or site preparation. A commercial, it's pretty easy. You've got 3070 doors at least. You have to imagine you've got level ground or the, the substrate's pretty, pretty level, uh, ADA and all of that. But uh, residential gets hairy. You know, I want a gun safe at the bottom or in the basement of my house. Okay. Well, the steps may not accommodate that. So now you're going around the yard. In Georgia, things aren't flat. You're going down a hill. You're going up a hill. So, Mr. Jeff, not Hefe, uh, what can you tell us about um, moving safes? I know, it, pardon the pun. It's, it's about being safe. What, what do you do to, to take care of things and make sure it's uh, going to go according to plan? You definitely got to go and you, I actually don't move safes. I hired somebody else to do them. Uh, I'm an older guy. That's, that's came and gone in my life. I'm not doing that anymore. Get a bunch of young guys, strong backs, and always get to the job first to see where your issues are going to be and, like you said, pre-planning is everything, just like opening them. If you can't get there and see what you're working with, don't take it on because you will always lose. 
um, make sure that you, you know, you're always doing something safely and you have the proper equipment at the same time. Jeff, when you and Tim came in town and we all went to Japanese for, for lunch that one day, uh, we were talking about a, a safe that had fallen on somebody and killed them. And Jeff said, uh, why do they call them a safe? They should call them a dangerous. So it's true. <laughs> well, my coworkers years ago, when they, when they worked for somebody else, they were doing a safe. It was like a walkout basement and uh, the safe ended up in the neighborhood lake and they got it out. And he, the, the guy that he worked for was rather unscrupulous and basically tossed a bunch of desiccant packets in there and like, ah, it'll dry out eventually. See, we talk about locksmith fatalities and number one's always lockouts or after hours jobs. But number two, it seems to be about once a year, maybe twice a year, a safe falling on someone during a move and it kills them. I mean, gun safes, maybe two, three, 500 pounds. But when you get TL. 1530 60s thousands of pounds i mean it's no joke to be around something that big uh, in a matter of just you know a few square feet it's nothing to play around with yeah that that's pretty scary <laughs> well i'll say you know the first time that i i helped move a uh, a gun safe and i i don't even remember the model of it i think it was a bfx an AMSEC BFX safe, uh, which is going to run you about Mr. Jeff. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that's between 800 and a thousand pounds, uh, roughly. But, uh, you know, it, we moved it out of the trailer and my boss has been moving safes for years. He's getting to the point now, actually after, moving that safe we didn't have any incidences thankfully but uh uh it scared the shit out of me to be honest with you to have that much dead weight um and be top heavy and here i am on the downhill side of it trying to keep it level coming out of the trailer uh it it scared me shitless um i'm a little bit better now because i've gotten more experience with it but, you know, Tyler, like you were saying, I think in the last year, uh, I've seen at least two news articles with warehouse workers that have been killed by safes that have fallen on them. So, I mean, you know, pre-planning and experience and, and having precautions and uh, like Jeff Rowe said, hire somebody out to uh, move your bigger safes. Yeah, too. And, the, the, you know, when you don't do it enough or when you're new to it, you don't realize how much or what a, an angle they can go at, especially when you're cribbing it or, or setting it or moving it or something like that. You don't realize that they can move at a considerable angle and it looks scary, but it's still safe because, you know, the center of gravity is still there. You're not beyond it. So it, it can throw you. I've been in those situations where I was on the other side of a safe with three sides of a wall. And it was like, are you sure this is safe? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, center of gravity is still where it should be. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm good, like, obviously with the little microwave safes that we sell, I can pretty much carry those in and, you know, upstairs, downstairs, whatever, uh, and get them into place with no issue. But anything that's a little bit bigger than the 
FV 132, the 151 or 157, I believe. I, I know I'm butchering those numbers. I know them Monday through Friday, but not on uh, the weekends. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, those smaller saves are easy enough to, to move. But uh, anything bigger, we always have generally is Jason and I that, that move them. Yeah, and I, you know, as looking at the 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 outline of the show before we got started, I remember one of my mentors as far as safe moving goes. Um, just here, here's Jeff's favorite word: nuances. We were moving a safe on brand new asphalt. Well, asphalt's not solid. I mean, it's it's rocks and uh, petroleum or whatever it is, and all of that. Um, when you get to ninety five, hundred degrees, like it gets in Atlanta, and Georgia, sometimes. That shit flexes. So we had to move a TL60 one time, and the back of the loading dock was asphalt moving into a facility that had concrete floors. Well, concrete's all fine and well, but when you get 90 to 100 degrees, that asphalt starts to flex and indent. Like I said, when you put two, 3,000 pounds over a few square feet on a pallet jack or a, a dolly or something like that, you get what I'm saying – you know, that can beat into or wear into that asphalt. You might get the safe suck. If you're going around a corner, you're turning or something like that, it bears into it, it tips over. Now it's falling. God forbid somebody's in the way. Now you've just ruined a container because it's fallen over. It's just certain little nuances like that you have to take into account. And the only way you can get that is through experience, knowledge, wisdom, stuff like that. Just stuff that, you know, hey, I see brand new asphalt. I have to imagine that's going to support it. That's not the case. Yeah. Right. And, you know, something else just to kind of add to that, you know, most of the safe deliveries that we do are residential. Uh, it's probably four or five residential deliveries to every one commercial delivery that we do. Uh, but we had one customer that had a newly constructed house or newly renovated house and of course hardwood floors you know when you're moving across hardwood floors you have to take that into consideration um, you you want to lay down moving blankets and then put plywood across the top of that so that you don't damage the hardwood floors but this one particular customer uh, refused absolutely outright to let us wear shoes even with shoe covers in the house and we walked away from the job we said look you can we can set it out in your driveway uh and you can pay somebody else to move it inside or you we can take it back to the shop and you can have somebody pick it up and take it in there but we are not doing this uh with socks or shoe covers or anything because you know shoe covers can slip on wood floors and tile so you want to make sure that you have a good grip on things well that that brings me to my next point and also our last episode about customer etiquette uh proper equipment yeah i would have walked away as well because uh, my personal safety is more important than this job or any money that it can bring so yeah with with residential, you've got to be a lot more accommodating because commercials concrete, and then when you get into a tenant space, it's carpet or it's tile or it's polished concrete, whatever it may be. But 
as soon as you get into residential, it's it's hardwood floors, it's carpet, it's very um, it's very precious, and and they're going to notice it far more than anybody in a commercial space because they live there. So, like you said, furniture pads, plywood, some cases, um, especially going down yards, uh, aluminum plates, plating. So that you're not damaging the grass. God forbid you're moving a gun safe down and you you put some some marks in the grass, which will grow back, but they're still gonna raise hell about it. Jeffrey, you ever moved a safe or been involved with a safe move where uh, a, a residence or a, a, an owner of a residence uh, bitched about you know any of your methods or or outcomes? No, we usually just move safes for commercial and we were so old school. We literally did the Egyptian moves of big one inch bars and rolled them right across the floor. And that's why I was like, that's not how you do this job. If you're not going to put money into it, don't sell the service. Yeah. We, uh, we actually have for the bigger, heavier safes. uh, We have a stock of, uh, what is it? One inch PVC to roll them on. And then we also have a set of uh, uh, lift dollies that we used. We did move a gun safe recently for a customer. He, he was actually a, an acquaintance of my boss and was having the floor of his garage at his house uh, refinished. And so we agreed to move it store it for like two weeks and then move it back and we used that was the first time i ever used the uh the hydraulic dollies where you can come in from either side and they ratchet strap to each other and then you have the hydraulic pump to raise it and it it actually worked really really well and i like that a hell of a lot better than i do the pvc pipes because those you kind of have to you have to kind of get your your fingers close to the edge of the safe you know if they don't go in the right spot or you gotta pull them out and i i really really don't like that you also have to watch your shins that's for sure yeah i I mean like i said the the proper tools go a long way i mean um it's not you don't have to get a lot of money invested to moving safes it's you know you've got for some examples uh stair cat stuff like that escalera and all that uh, rollers, timbers, straps, um, shims. But I mean, that's most of it. it it's pretty simple, stupid. But like you said, uh, you got to go the Egyptian methods. They built pyramids that way with very little tools, but they, they pulled it off. And, and it just takes a good bit of knowledge, proper planning, safety. I know the Egyptians didn't care about safety, but we do these days. So you just kind of have to mind your P's and Q's. Yeah. And, you know, I've found even with the uh, and I remember the model numbers now, the FV 132 and FV 137, FV 151s. Those are the safes that I can the the microwave safes that I am comfortable moving by myself. But in order to keep from fucking up a customer's floor when you move it in there, uh, always keep cardboard in your truck. No matter what, if you're servicing safes, if you're not servicing safes, keep a good sized cardboard box that's been flattened out and still in one piece. Keep that in your truck. Uh, You can use it as a sliding mat. Uh, Also, a moving blanket. Keep that in your truck as well. 
you can use them for so many things. Uh, but when it comes to saves, you can use that to slide a safe into place and then lean it back, pull the cardboard out from under, and then you're not sliding the safe all over the customer's floor, scratching yes. it up. Same with furniture pads or what you're calling moving blankets. Yeah. Yep. I've done that a few times. Tyler, did you ever have the air lift kits that they sell? Where no. It lifts on, on air, basically. I've never used those and I've never used the slick <laughs> sticks, but I'd love to. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I, I, I haven't either. I just thought it was really neat. Yeah. I saw a video with that on a uh, construction uh, Instagram account earlier today, actually, and it was amazing. And I, I sent it to my boss and I'm like, we got to get one of these. <laughs> well, that, that's, they work. They've been around for a long time, but I don't I've never used them. Knowing your boss, he'll probably get two of them, Tim. Probably. <laughs> yeah, that and the slick sticks. I mean, I've, I've seen videos and heard of people using them, and it's it's amazing what I've seen. But again, I don't move safes anymore. But any other final points, gentlemen? Keep your fingers and toes inside the ride at all times. <laughs> yeah, don't put it. Don't put your finger anywhere you wouldn't put your pecker. Don't ever try to stop a falling safe either. Yeah, that. Hey, hundred percent. All right. So, what do you do with safes if you work for a shop that, well, doesn't really sell safes? The lovely Jeff Moss will let us know up next. When you work in a shop that doesn't sell many safes, it really doesn't give you much to talk about on podcasts. But what customers consider to be a safe and what trade professionals consider to be a safe are usually completely different. So how do shops that don't sell safes service safes? So we do a lot of you know commercial safe servicing, opening, combination changes, general maintenance, like I was saying before. Um, and that's, you know, in the field, primarily commercial, but in, you know, in my sphere of the shop, when somebody calls in and says, I have a safe that needs to be open, normally it's something that costs less than $100, either has a tubular cylinder, a wafer, sometimes it's just a, a strong box, um, you know, sometimes it's a little cash drawer box. So a lot of them aren't safes at all. They're just a box with a lock on them. So, you know, in the shop, that's pretty easy. You know, some of the stuff is bigger and heavier and takes some more getting into, or you have to call Century to get a combination and then, you know, charge the customer accordingly. And 99% of the time, it'll work just fine. So we don't have a lot of issues that way. But yeah, most of the stuff, when people do actually bring it in and they say that it's a safe, it's like, you know, you're like, seriously, this, you know, it's it. But then. Can, you know, you will have the commercial customers occasionally that'll bring in like the door from an AMSAC or a guard all or something to be changed. And that's nicer to work on because at least you can get parts. Tim, you know, Tyler, I know you probably don't since you don't have a shop. Jeff, do you guys have a shop or are you strictly mobile? I'm a pirate. I'm all on my own. Mm -hmm. So you don't. But I'm sure you get calls. Hey, I have a safe. And it ends. I'm sure sometimes it ends up being, you know, once they send you a picture of it and you know what it is. Uh, can end up being like, you know, why bother? Yeah, I give them the price. Everybody's got a choice. But yeah, like you said, sometimes it's you are going to be putting $200 in a $100 safe to open it. 
feel free. I'll take I, your money. I had somebody who didn't like the price, so they just went outside and dropped the strong box on the ground. Okay. Sometimes that works. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get we get people all the time uh, that buy these little locking boxes that are made out of metal on uh, Amazon or, or wherever, and they lose the keys, and they let the batteries go dead, and their passport's in there, and their flight leaves in three hours. Well, you know, they bring them into the storefront. where We are the only locksmith shop in 30 miles uh, that has a storefront location. So, you know, people bring us a lot of stuff. A lot of people bring us stuff. And a lot of times when they bring them, you know, bring those things to us, we, you know, it's like you said, have a, it's like, you know, is a tubular or a wafer. Sometimes you'll get something that is actually a, a, like a, uh, a dual sided wafer lock where you have to pick both sides and those are annoying, but they can be done. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you do that. And, and what we do is what I like to do personally is get that open and then charge them, you know, 25, 30 bucks, whatever it is to get it open. And they comment, Oh, wow. You got that open in like five minutes. I'm like, well, I was bullshitting for four of those five minutes, but, uh, you know, yeah. And, uh, when you're ready for a real safe, come back and see me and I'll show you one of these that we have on the showroom. So that's where actually selling safes out of the showroom kind of comes in handy is you can provide a service for somebody with a locking container and then upsell. Yeah, that's true. And that sort of goes into the second part of, you know, how can you help them get a safe even if you don't sell them? And that's a good question because if you don't want to deal with it and you just refer it to somebody else or say go buy one online, you can't really make money that way. But, you know, we can still service it. We can maintain it and, and all that stuff. It's just we don't – they take up too much room. They're heavy. They're dangerous. Uh, my boss always says the only people that make money on safe selling safes are safe manufacturers. And, you know, like Jeff was saying earlier about automotive, if you want to be fully invested and have all that stuff in stock and ready to go, you know, that's a lot of money. I mean, we have all the tools, we have the service materials and and parts and things like that. And, you know, we're able to take care of most of this stuff pretty quickly, Um, you know, unless it's a weird part that takes a day or so to come in or, you know, a week maybe. But, I mean, there is stuff that hasn't been made in a long time. There's older safes and things around. We don't really don't work on vaults. There's companies that do all that. Um, you know, it helps that Diebold is from this area uh, about 45 minutes away. So, you know, there's other ways to make money. You can service all their other stuff. And, you know, just because you can't sell them a safe, you can be their provider for everything else. Or you can... You know, like I said, still service it, and it's just fine. Yeah, we have a uh, we had we had a customer that had a uh, a B rate cash safe. Uh, it was commercial institutional. They had they had older electronic keypads on there, and they were literally falling apart. Like the they uh, broke the dowel ring for one keypad because it was a a uh, dual door uh, cash vault safe and so one of them the the mount ring broke and the 
keypad was literally hanging there. So anyway, went and I replaced both locks on both doors. And probably six months later, they called and said, hey, can you come out and uh, and change the combinations for us? And I was sure, you know, but they're like 40 miles away. So we charge accordingly. So for a combination change, it was very, very profitable. Um, you know, yeah, I spent basically an hour and a half driving. I, I didn't mind it. But, uh, you know, still, you know, that's a way to make money is servicing by changing combinations. And if you can do electronic combination changes and also mechanical combination changes, uh, and and Jeffro will probably agree with me on this, uh, that's a very profitable area to be in, even if you don't sell saves or do openings. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the, the one car dealer I do here, I don't understand it. I changed it to digital, give them full instructions. These are educated people, yet they call me every 30 days to come change that combination with an electronic safe. Fine, I'll take your money. But once again, it's six buttons you got to push. That's it. But yeah. that's fine. I'll push them for you. I mean, there's plenty of other stuff uh, that you can offer them for sure. That also isn't dangerous and doesn't weigh a thousand pounds. <laughs> That's true. I'll change their batteries too for twenty bucks. Sure. Yep. <laughs> do do a uh, yearly safe lock uh, maintenance package where you you come and you uh, change the batteries and lubricate any moving parts. Yeah. Check it out. Make sure the bolt work moves. You know. There well, I tell you, um, DH Pace overhead door, they do that. They offer yearly contracts. That's how they make a lot of their money, servicing accounts like that. Right. Make sure the door moves. And I mean, think about it. At home, we call the HVAC guy twice a year. You know, there's usually nothing wrong, and you're paying a couple hundred bucks, but it's peace of mind, you know, to make sure everything works like it's supposed to. All right. Well, containers, boxes, safes, all of these sound like great places to create and store spare parts. That's funny. Spare Parts is our next block. All right. Hopefully, we have imparted some wisdom on our listener, listeners today when it comes to the mysterious world of safes. But enough of all that. Let's tell y'all what we've really been up to lately with our spare parts. Tyler. You go first. I've been missing a pocket knife for about three months now, and I thought, oh, no, one of my kids had got it and stashed it somewhere, but I found it today in one of my drawers. Nice. Jeff, HKS, go ahead with your spare part. Oh, I'm doing fine. I'm just thriving and surviving. Hope everybody's doing as well as I am in life. Good to know. All right, well, hot dog. Oscar Mayer offered a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity uh, this past April this year from the 15th to the 16th. Their iconic Wienermobile was turned into a wedding chapel, or as Oscar Mayer liked to call it, the Wienermobile of love. They gave fans a chance to exchange their nuptials in the Wienermobile of love, which was parked next to another Las Vegas icon, the Little White Chapel. In addition to the quaint photo op, 
The couples chosen for the unique opportunity were also treated to a live Wiener Whistle Quartet and Wiener Cake. Sounds right up your alley. Has, yes. anybody, has anybody ever seen the Wienermobile in the in, in the, the live world? I have. Yeah. I actually have a Wiener Whistle. Of course. They brought the Wienermobile to the fire department here last year. They took a bunch of pictures with it. I, I've seen it on the highway as well. That's all. They said something like, yeah, we really relished the opportunity to catch up with them or something. Hefe. <laughs> Hefe. Uh, What's well, your spare part? So my spare part is that for my friend's birthday yesterday, we did the Hot Ones Challenge, which is where you, it's a, a YouTube series where they ask celebrities questions as they're eating 10 different wings with progressively hotter sauces. So we all did it and ate all the sauces and somehow survived. Uh, some of them were quite hot and uh, painful, but uh, we did it. With my stomach conditions, I could never do that painful going in have they come yeah. out uh yes <laughs> the ring that's, of fire that's why jeff was late today no i was <laughs> told you i was picking up ice cream thank you very much yeah for a good reason i would have <laughs> ice cream too <laughs> as always if you have any hate mail or love letters for us write them on the back of a 20 dollar bill and email it to the three tumblers pod at gmail.com or tag us on twitter at the number three tumblers pod your executive producer is the tall tyler j thomas our esteemed technical producer is jeff moss the lovely jeff moss i am the writer and editor tim coleman and our special guest host today was jeff gaylor our ratings analyst is rita menweep the second shift meteorologist is claudio vernight and the official driver of the three tumblers nascar team is andy zoff our chief legal counsel is Hugh Lewis Dewey of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, otherwise known under the benches of Centennial Park as Huey Louie Dewey. About to watch Talladega? You got me there. Malort is gross. Thanks for listening. <laughs> this has been a Three Tumblers production. Season 1, copyright 2023. All rights reserved. Find this episode and others wherever you get your podcasts. Hefe! Hefe!